Yeah, man, so I started looking out the window. I see guns go, so guns go, guns go, guns go. Where the fuck are you taking? Damn, that OG shit Welcome to episode number 25, quarter century mark, fellas, of Big Takes with Dick and Bones. Episode 25, I think it's we established. It took a long time to get here, but... Long time. The, we're at the quarter century mark. That that means something to you, So Bones? this is officially the season finale. I know we said 25 um, I, I I thought about it. I thought about it. We're not doing a season finale. <laughs> we're keeping our, going. Our good friend uh, and fellow podcaster, Joe Rogan, oh. you know, we talk a lot. And guess what episode he's up to these days? Tell me. It's like 1196. <laughs> okay, like, but doesn't that, like, doesn't that, isn't that hard for viewers to keep up with? You don't what's think it's better not, from what's harder? Number 72 or season 4, episode 12? Right. I don't know. I'm not like sure. A, okay, we're keeping with season 1, run, episode number 25. We're only doing one season forever. And as you've listened to the past couple of podcasts, we really expanded our topics. And, you know, Dick, you know when a topic's good. Based on the response. And what happened? Two, two podcasts ago, we bring in some girls from Tibby, and they describe why humans are attracted to beauty in general, and what makes up the different preferences in our attractiveness. And we got we comments. Got, we got experts. We got, we got one second, before that, we got, we got Facebook chats blowing up, WhatsApp chats blowing up, controversy. You're a liar. You're, you're false. True, false. So we decided, <laughs> we decided to bring in the expert. I'd like to introduce... Psychology expert, Carol Dweck. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. So actually, Carol is a super fan. We learned this last podcast. I am a super fan. Is that fan. correct? I think I'm the top of the dozens of listeners that you have on this you've podcast. You've actually, when you've been on, you quoted podcasts that I forgot about. Mm-hmm. And they're usually about Harris. I'm not going <laughs> to bring that up. But she's a super fan. So, Carol, today's podcast what are you, what are you is about... about? I've never been on this podcast uh, before. Today's, right. Today's my like, first well, time. We deleted that one. We deleted one. The, today's podcast is, is going back to that topic for a second of attraction. So we're going to explain why we're attracted to beauty. Carol's going to give us the inside scoop. Yeah, and all behind the scenes, yeah. Carol actually called in to the podcast and left a really amazing message on the topic. So we were like, that's what kind of sparked us. We're like, we got to get you on. We got to talk about this stuff. Go a little deeper, more into the psychological side of it. Right. More into the brain, what, what's going on. Not not chemical. no, well, maybe chemically, but not more what... My Pro was talking about more of that, like the technical stuff. We're going to talk about more of what thoughts you're kind of having. Right. So we're going to finish that part off with uh, a deep dive into what, what does that mean to have a type? Why do you have different preferences? Um, we're going to hit on psychology of sexual orientations. Right, Kyle? Interesting, maybe? Interesting. And we're going to finish that topic off with sexual fantasies and why people fantasize about different things. And um, you mentioned in our chat, we had a little chat to, to record to prepare this. Um, she mentioned that she's an expert, or not an expert, just really interested in business and marketing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring that up, and that's going to be our second part of the podcast. And then we're going to finish off with what else but a big take. Nice. Come on, activity. Come on super fan. Activity is right. Activity. Okay, without further ado. For the content to stay for the activity. Knows Carol that. knows what we do at the beginning of each podcast. Candy test. Candy time. She's okay. She's been waiting. So you actually brought this from where? From Brooklyn? From Brooklyn, okay. from Onuts, from next door to Yeshiva Fapish High School. Okay. I went in me. and I asked them for their most popular candy. Well, blow, right? Yeah, and they came up, up with these Jolly Rancher Chews, which Richie figured out are actually okay. just twerps. Oh, yeah. No, but I think they're, no, they're a little different. Well, we're going to taste them, but, yeah, let's go but they kind There's of two flavors. Twerps. There's a green and there's an orange. So, so it's like a noodle filled with gel of some sort. Here you go. 
and covered in sugar. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, imagine a twerp, but um, it's coated in powder as opposed to uh, mm -hmm. more of the glossy feel. I'll show you. So oh, I the, oh, I like. I got the sour apple and watermelon. I mean, isn't it all the same? No, there's the orange one in there. This one's oh, delicious. Give me that one. This one's delicious. Okay, first off, texture, fantastic, fantastic. You bite into it, it's. You know what it reminds me of, and it's funny because I like them. You didn't. Mm. Sweets. Hated those. But these are very similar. Have you those ever had tasted, sweets, Carol? No, those tasted too Jewish. These are just right. <laughs> just right, not Jewish. Yeah, those are Jewish, so they were tasted worse. That's By the way, the little. A little support for um, our fellow brethren that are getting attacked. Yeah. We just had a, a, a rally, a march. What was the slogan? I don't know. No, you were there, <laughs> weren't you there? I wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it was like no fear, no hate or something. Yeah. But, but um, you know, we got to stay strong as I'm Israel. And, and uh, Amari, Amari Stoudemire put out a really amazing video about how... Um, we're just we're we're good pe like the Jews in general are good people. You gotta treat them correctly, and Jews stand up for yourselves. Hundred percent. Yeah, stand up for yourself. So, okay. Um, so how are we getting? Oh, just Jewish enough. Our <laughs> thoughts, our thoughts go out, and we're moving in before. Wait, wait, wait. wait score. Score. What do you got? Mm. One to ten. I like it a lot. Eight point one. Eight point one. I think it's right up there. Eight point four for me. Carol didn't even have it, but what do you got on the score? I've eaten it before, so I'm gonna go with. I don't love candy, like I'm more of a chocolate person. Okay, but wrong, I think wrong segment with, for you then. With candies though, I think it's up there. I would give it a nice eight point two. Eight point two professional Ooh, score. Okay. okay, we're moving on to the first part of our podcast. We're talking about attraction. So, Carol, as Dick mentioned, you called in. You said, actually, very nice podcast, Dick and Bones, but actually, this is how it works. And I want to go into it. Very cute, very cute podcast. Very cute, very nice. Um, but she's going to tell us the truth here. First of all, why are we attracted to beauty in the first place? Give us that background. Okay. So, my personal um, like philosophy when it comes to psychology is I love evolutionary psychology. I love understanding why things evolved and why we are the way we are because of survival mechanisms. So they did this really interesting study on foxes where they just looked at what foxes were like over time and they took foxes and then specifically domesticated them. They all and call them like fox eye or something. It's, just it's possible. Foxes. Is it fox eye? Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Then I'll change, I'll change my no, mind. I'm not sure. It took, they took a whole bunch of this animal and they domesticated them. And once they became domesticated, we realized that they actually took on features of what we would call cute. What like we, their noses humans. Would humans that they looked more dog-like. So their noses became like little rounder and smaller and their eyes became bigger. And Why like they became, so as they became domesticated, they actually looked friendlier to show us that they are friendlier and give oh, off that impression. That's the same thing that really happens with humans is throughout the years, in order to tell if somebody was dangerous and aggressive or a little bit more gentle and nice, mm -hmm. we used looks in order to tell us if somebody was threatening or not. Right. Nowadays, however, there is no survival anymore. Right. So people who are mean survive, people who are nice survive, and people adapt different um, personalities regardless of what their looks are because we can use our prefrontal cortex we can think about it a little bit more so now, so now even people who are cute can be assholes and people who look really aggressive can be really nice and cute so even though evolutionarily we should be attracted to people who have cuter better features it actually doesn't help us what that do you much mean by survival because i would i would argue that we still have survival maybe not to the level of life and death that they did then but in quality of life so interesting right. so you're 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 barely surviving if you're on the lower spectrum of the of the um, poverty line or something like that, and your quality of life sucks. Yeah, but you could have a cheery disposition, or you could have good looks. 
and still be poor. It's not so an indicator. So I think what's related to this, sorry to cut you off, is, mm-hmm. the, is the halo Less effect. Less likely, though. Is the halo effect, right? It is. And that's where it comes from, More beautiful people accomplish more things in life. They have better, they have biases against other people. Not taller people, taller so people. So tell, talk to us about the psychology of that. Well, I don't know about biases against other people, but for the most part, the halo effect is if having you have, one... Sorry, if you have an interview, you have two fives. One of them's strikingly gorgeous and one of them's butt ugly. Who, who are you picking? Oh, okay. Job. So yeah, they have biases towards them, not against them. Right, okay, I guess so, yeah. Or against other people. Right. But of course, I think the better looking person... So there's two reasons for this. I mean, okay, so what is it first? The halo effect is when you have one good trait, and it could be anything, but in most instances we talk about in regards to beauty, having one good trait makes us generalize and think that a person has a lot of other good traits. So it could be used with like a teacher. Like if you like the teacher because they're nice, you might also think that they're responsible and organized and just like a good educator. But you're really just taking one thing and generalizing it to a lot of other things. So we do this a lot with beauty where it's like if we think somebody is beautiful, we generalize and think they have a lot of other good qualities like being you know, nice and helpful and responsible and smart right. and good with people and whatever it it's is. It's funny. I, I got to relate it to Dick when he was like in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. He's always the tallest, right? He's 6'4", right? Yeah. So I, he was automatically associated because he was the tallest with a leader. Mm-hmm. So they, they gave him more responsibilities. They, he was seemingly more, more mature in their eyes. So I feel like it's kind of I even swindled him into giving me the leadership award in high school. Leadership award. <laughs> nice. Is there any, any correlation between those things? Yeah. Like the so taller definitely. kids, you assume that they're better leaders, and the shorter kids are like the little runs, basically. Right. So that comes from our schemas, and then it becomes also a lot of times a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if I think Wait, that you Dick, describe what a schema is? A schema is just a way of categorizing things in our brain. So a stereotype is a type of schema, but we have schemas for things that are not like about groups of people. So I have a schema that people who are leaders are taught. And a lot of times it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if I think that Dick is going to be a leader and I act towards him as if he's right. a leader, in the end of the day, Dick is going to become a leader and then I'm going to be like, ah, see, I was uh, right. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, self-fulfilling prophecy. Got it. So back to the question, which was why are we attract, Why does the halo effect happen? Another reason, so one of it is the halo effect. Why do we prefer more beautiful people? Why do we think that they're going to be better at things? It's because we have this idea in our head, this halo effect. The other is we actually get um, a shot of dopamine every time we right. look at something that's beautiful and attractive. So whether it be like a beautiful painting or artwork or a person, we get that dopamine rush, which is our reward center. We get that same thing when we eat something delicious or when we do something fun. So we want to keep looking at it. So people who are more beautiful, people like to keep them around. They like to look at them. However, we know that with anything we habituate, right? We build up a tolerance. tolerance. So people who are more beautiful at first, that sort of wears off, which is, I guess, why in Mm. relationships to people who are just beautiful and like each other for their beauty, it doesn't always last. It's normalized, like Um, like, uh, Michael Stern. What do you mean? When you you worked with the ESPN. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, that's a good example. So (laughs) I want to talk about addressing addressing the the, uh, the what's my type, what's your type uh, question, right? So if I asked you, I asked this to Lauren, well, how would you answer this? What's your type? Like, how would you define someone physically beautiful? Oh, you want me to personally, answer my yeah, specific yeah. type? Yes. <laughs> Put her on I the spot here. I know. I don't really Just have... Just physically, physically. I don't have a physical type. I have... I very much have a personality type. No, though. I know that. But physical beauty we're talking about, what's your type? I don't think I have one. And Tall, not to say, short, like, dark, Meaning, light. I could just appreciate beauty... Like good-looking people and good-looking people. Okay. Like you don't so, have to look, have specific hair color, specific eye color, specific height or build. It's just like aesthetically pleasing. So give us the people. personality type. Personality type is probably not what you would expect. What would you expect? Putting you on the spot. Probably like an asshole. Really, I don't yeah. like assholes. I like no. really sweet, nice guys. Why like, would you think? Assholes? I don't know. Exceedingly sweet. Okay, we're talking about physical beauty. Yeah. Now, how does that relate to physical beauty? Because if right. you see somebody with that personality trait, you're not going for a guy with tattoos. 
Right. So I'll Fine. I'll tell you where the types. No, what I'm saying. Like, no, I get what you're saying. If you have the same person, and one hits your personality, like same looks, physical physical uh, makeup, one hits the personality type, one is the complete opposite. You would uh, like think the one that hits it is a nine, and the other one's a three. Meanwhile, if you take that physical trait out, it would be a whatever a five. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I happen to be really good at separating the two. Okay. And, like, feeling like I can appreciate this person as being, like, really good looking. And I can appreciate this person as being really, like, nice. And people say, like, when you... So, it's less about, oh, now I see their personality, like, their personality comes out and they look nicer. It's also just mere exposure, which is the idea that... So, the mere exposure effect is the more you're around someone or something, the more attractive they become to you. Because you just mm. get used to their thing. That's also survival mechanism. So, it's the opposite of what you mentioned before. Which is that. the newness and the excitement. Yeah, right. yeah. So can we hit on the topic of what's my type? So how does that? How does preferences form within a person? So when it comes to okay, so when it comes to physical attraction, obviously you guys hit on last time the point of like universal beauty. So like having a very symmetrical face is universally beautiful. The golden ratio, which not might not necessarily be um, true, or like it could be true, could be untrue. We are actually not proven, more, just more right, of a theory exactly. right now. Exactly, we are actually attracted to really average looking faces. So we think that we're attracted to like really star across celebrity, the board, the board. but if you look at faces and you had to rank them, you would actually be most, most likely to be attracted to the faces that are just average, average proportion, average height, average looks, because that signals good genes. And if somebody looks like they have good genes, then that's good for appropriation. So that's uh, like our natural Anything to the, um, to, to the, just the, you mentioned the, the, the sniffing story, yes. right? Is there any truth to the fact that we look for people that are similar to us? Okay. So when it comes to personalities, we really look for people who are similar to us. We want somebody who understands our struggles, so who has a similar... So with personalities, yeah. it's not true that opposites attract. Mm -hmm. People who are similar, birds of a feather flock together. Myth debunked. Myth debunked, definitely. Um, there could be minor things that you could have that are different, like somebody's loud, somebody's quiet. But if you didn't have like core values that align, then core like family things or just like mm -hmm. general life circumstances, right. right? Then you wouldn't be attracted to one Tell another. us the t-shirt study. Yeah, okay. So that was a really interesting study. Um, actually, if you watch the Netflix explained about attraction in the opening credits, they never actually speak about it, but right. they show people sniffing. Wait, so what was it? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'll explain. So they wanted to see if scent, like smelling somebody, had any correlation with um, like how compatible you would be with the person or like whatever okay. it was. So they had men wear a t-shirt to sleep for two weeks in a row. And then they had a random sample of women come smell all the t-shirts and they would choose the one that they found most attractive. They thought the men, they didn't see what the man looks like, but yeah. which scent attracted them the most. And basically then they did genetic testing and they found that, well, I guess I would ask you this since yeah. you don't know, what do you think happened? Right. So they had men wear the t-shirt for two weeks, gave the females a t-shirt mm -hmm. and then... And, and, what, what, do you, what do I think happened? What do you think? So they had to rate them, right? So in terms of their genetics, do you think that they were more attracted to somebody with very similar genetics, very different, where there's certain Ooh, genes I, that were more important? I mean, based off what you were saying before, it's got to be similar, but I don't know. I have no idea why. Right. So the actual, it's actually the opposite. You're attracted to somebody with genes that are very opposite to you. So oh, okay. personality-wise, similar. Genes different. Why? And if you really think about it, on the outskirts, it seems like that doesn't make any sense. But if you actually think about it a little bit... gene pool or something? Exactly. Survival. Yeah. Survival. Survival. Right. Because if you are meeting with somebody let's say like in your own family like you know they talk about the people who intermarry like incestually right. and how they come up with messed up kids it's because if you yes exactly if you have if you both have a gene that's harmful or mutated but it's a recessive gene right. then you'll pass that gene on so if you're intermarrying you're more likely to pass down a lot of really bad recessive genes however if you're intermarrying with somebody else and you're procreating with them 
and they have different genes, you're more likely to not have right. those right. bad you're diversifying your risk. Exactly. Um, I want to talk about, so preference as a whole, right? I, there was actually mm -hmm. a 2015 study, identical twins, right? The twins had different partner preferences. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? So it's c clear that it's based on, you know, unique environmental factors. I think that, sure. that that explained, that Netflix explained thing had it. Mm -hmm. um, and individual life experiences, right? Is that a right. summary you think of this topic? Yeah, I would also say, because we start, so the same way as for survival over many years, we decided what looks attractive, right? right? So as you go through life and you meet different people, you start building up again your schema of like right. what a good person is. So whenever right. you have a certain person that looks a certain way, that acts a certain way, we build up on that schema that we have, that mental framework, and we keep changing it. So even identical twins who have the same genes right. change their schemas as they, interact, as they interact with different people. Right, got it. How much blame or credit do you give to parents on their children's outcomes? That's a great question. Because um, I, um, I, I just thought of that when you started talking about, about uh, schema and, and, and uh, familiarity and all these different things that kind of determine how you think and perceive people. So I wonder, so the, the people you see the most and that I think have the most molding in, mm -hmm. in what you become are your parents. So it's like, let's say you have an alcoholic uh, parent or something like that. Like how, are, are you to blame or are they to blame for your, um, if you develop alcoholism or whatever it is, you know, you know kind of what I'm saying? Yeah, alcoholism is a tricky one because for that one, it we're still not sure if it's actually nature or nurture. So like oh, it could be, you can, a lot of people, when there's family history of alcohol, it's very highly genetic, actually. Oh, wow. Like, there's... So, what is say, the genetic component that, that determines Behavior. That? You don't... You never, you never see the fact that you're, like, copying your dad's... Yeah, behavior's not genetic. That's not genetic. Is that true? The Oh, so you're saying what... what in what way? Is behavior, behavior genetic at all? Behavior. Behaviors that you engage in, yes. But he's right. saying, like, why are you more likely to get addicted? This is kind of open up a whole new conversation. But all basically... Right. Final <laughs> word on this. Final word on this. And then we're moving on. But okay, now. So, what were we going to... We were saying about... What were we talking about? I forgot. I'm curious about this. Oh, nature versus nurture, <laughs> nature versus nurture in right. general. How much can you blame parents? So I would say in general, um, parents are involved in children's lives in most of their critical periods. Those are the times yeah. where like if developmental milestones are met or not, or like you learn something or not, it's very, very critical in that time. So they really do have a big influence. However, that doesn't mean that just because it's a critical period that you can't change things later on. So as you become an adolescent and your friends have a really big influence on you and that's the biggest time where the friends have the influence it can change or you know modify something that you learn from your parent but then people will also say the parents choose the friends so it right, depends right. how involved your parents are it's a very hard question okay we talk about we're moving on to two final questions before yeah, our break mm -hmm. and i just want to ask both of you guys yeah. you see you walk into a bar right mm -hmm. and you see someone across the room and they're like so freaking gorgeous strikingly beautiful mm -hmm. how do you feel Bi biologically how do you mm -hmm. feel describe it it's a really good it's like fight or flight at that point. Either like man up and go talk to her. What happens? How, how do you feel in your body? There's, there's like a nervousness slash butterfly slash adrenaline. It's like a mix of everything where, where you just got to um, – you kind of – you want to run away, but you also need to go forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Interesting. What do you got? I think for me, when I see like a gorgeous guy – it's less about like I think I'm gonna go up to him. It's just like I kind of want to tell people like it's like oh, look what I, like look what I found. We could just I think this is girl, a girl thing because we don't really have the power right, in right, the right. in the dynamic. So it's more just like let me get all my friends to be like look, oh my god oh my god he's so gorgeous. Let me get a video. How do you feel personally like? Oh, like personally in, your body. in my body. Um, like how crude. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. I mean, what do you feel? Um, definitely like the heart rate increasing for sure. Um, 
like the butterflies. Uh, all right, we'll keep it PG. Yeah. Yeah. All right, it turns you on. Well, okay. We're about to talk about sexual you, fantasy. You, you so really okay. No, you hurt. said it. Do you yeah. really get turned on from like that from the look. small level? Yeah. It depends. I would say like sometimes your imagination can get the best of you in a moment when ah, you see somebody, and it, I think that's split what you're fantasy. Yes. Split okay, you fantasy. mentioned it. Sexual fantasies, mm-hmm. right? So just like beauty preferences, there are sexual fantasy preferences, mm-hmm. right? So I just want to list off some facts. Ninety-seven percent. Ninety-seven percent of people when surveyed. Call it like like the fact. The the uh, fact fact check. or something. The fact, we'll work on the name. We'll work on the name. But ninety seven ninety seven percent of people had sexual fantasies at least once. Right? They're mm-hmm. imagining imagining Reported. an arousing uh, surveyed. Right? right. Imagining you know, an wait, arousing wait, wait. sexual fuck, situation. Who the fuck are those three people? Yeah, right. 100%. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's reported, so people surveyed. would not. It's personal reports. Oh, like Christian? That's Social uh, desirability. Okay, so we're assuming that's correct. Assuming that's correct, everybody does it. So this uh, explain, going back to explain, they should be our sponsor of the show. (laughs) But there are three basic genres, right? So the first is sex with multiple people, like orgies. Um, The second is novelty, whatever that means. We'll go into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the third is power and control. So I just want to ask what what your experience has been this. Have you Have you studied this clinically? So not clinically, but I took a class called Psych of Women in Hunter College back when I was a naive little, like, I don't know, maybe 17-year-old, 18-year-old. It was, like, one of my first classes. And part of what we had to do was we had to do a final project on porn. So I had never seen porn before in my whole life. And I had to do a project on porn. That's wild. And it was very interesting. And I had to, like, go through. I had to ask. I'm sure Mr. and Mrs. Dweck. I had to ask my. They don't know. Um, I had to ask my teacher what a porn website was, like, wow. what, which one I should go on Google's to. Google's glor- uh, 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 a really amazing thing now. You yeah. can just type P-O-R-N. Right, and the first bar. thing comes up. Okay. So. And the first thing that comes up is what, Bones? Porn, correct. Go. What do you got? Uh, which one is Which oh. specific? Oh, okay. They need to sponsor the show. <laughs> All right, Pornhub. They already do. We will give you Pornhub.com. Pornhub.com. Uh, just type in Dick and Bones. I mean, you don't have to DM sexualize. It already works. And you get 25% discount. So you're sitting in this class in Hunter. What's going through your mind? Oh, I'm freaked. I was loving it, honestly, because I wanted to get an education in something like this. Not because yes. I, I wanted to go home and watch porn, but, like, it. nobody ever spoke to me about sex in any manner. Right. Like, barely sure. even in my senior hall hot class. And it was just, like, I want to be educated. Right. I took a psych of human sexuality class. I took an intro to gay and lesbian studies class. Like, I just want to be educated on things that I don't know. Right. So it was really exciting. Having to go and potentially watch or oh, look at a porn site in the middle of my house... That. Potentially because I was really considering not doing it and just making it up or just like whatever, spewing. Ooh, yeah. Um, but that was like a scary thought. Like thinking about having Probably something not that, that was like, in the So let's of go into the, the topic of... We're in the middle of the library in Hunter College, so like I really didn't have many options. Let me, let's go into the topic of, of no actual fantasies. <laughs> right. The fantasies, right? Sexual fantasies. So those three genres, sex with multiple people, right. we'll start with that, right? What about that is psychologically appealing? So it's about the idea of like being wanted by multiple people. Right. And we actually spoke about this in general when it comes to attraction. A lot of what's happening is we're looking for a mate who is going to just like keep us secure and safe. Right? right. So now, I mean, in the past, it would be somebody strong, somebody who can keep us physically safe, um, somebody who had high popularity or status because they would literally keep us safe because they would be the one making the decisions. They would have a lot of people that can help like protect right. you physically. Nowadays, it's more of status when it comes to like, money but still there's that in like you want to be popular you want to be right. the person that everybody's looking to should i say the example that i said the last time right yeah. so there is there was this interesting study that they did on some sort of bird right. and 
they basically were like watching the birds and seeing, you know, how, like who was the leader, who was the better person. They found that most people want to be where? They want to be in the center of the circle because then they have all the different birds or people around them to protect them. And they also... Right, there's an attack. Right. Who do you, where do you want to be? In you want to be right in the middle. Right. And you exactly. also want to be the person who, if you were to go into the tree, everybody would follow you. Because if you were smart enough to realize, okay, they're coming onto the ground, I need to go into the tree, right. but you're the only one to do that, then you're an easy target. So even right. if you're smart, you're an easy target. Oh, so nobody follows you. Exactly. Yeah. You're isolated. Exactly. So you're an easy target. Yeah. So let's go back to orgies. Orgies. You want to be the person, again, that everybody yeah. follows. You're going to uh, the next branch. So by the way, the, the, the most common fantasy is what? Guess. Specifically? What's yeah. the most what common? term? I think you mentioned it all fair. Threesome, threesome. Threesome, that's oh, okay. Because just the thought of, I asked some friends, mm-hmm. we had uh, a little get-together the other night, and I asked them, like, what, what would you, like, what, what would be appealing about that? And they said, you know, two guys, a girl said, two guys on me, like, like paying attention just to me is like appealing. That's interesting because I would say the most commonly searched, I think this is what I remember from my project, for women, the most commonly searched threesome is actually female, female, male. Really? Not female, male, male. Okay, so that goes into our What's next topic, which is sexual orientation. But before you, I just want to finish Wait, on... Is it, is it the opposite? Do, do guys search... No, guys male, like female. female. No, no they like not. male and two females. So they both, So male and female like the same thing? Yes. Okay. Okay. We're going to go into sexual orientation, but before we do, I just want to finish on, on fantasies. Um, so talk to me about novelty. Right. I think in general, um, like we said before, you habituate to things. So like right. even just beauty, mm-hmm. it, it stops firing. The neurons stop firing as strongly anytime you do something for a long amount of time. Right. Um, and I think with sex specifically, a lot of people get into sexual routines where they're just doing the same foreplay, the same thing over and over and over again. Right. So something new, something different is always exciting, right. especially when it comes to our neurotransmitters. So That's our role playing and stuff right, like that. Right. Exactly. Our neurotransmitters are more likely to fire the ones that make us feel good if it's something new that we've never seen before because right. it's the first time that those things are firing in that sequence. Once something becomes more robotic, we don't need those neurotransmitters to tell us that it's something good. It's interesting. One, one study in the uh, in the documentary had guys watching porn porn scenes mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over 10 times 20 times 30 times and they just got so so and they showed yeah. a chart of how excited were they i don't know how they, they measured uh, their sexual uh they put electrodes on them they okay. measured their all right it's possible so <laughs> they watch it so you see a graph right you see well, a graph in, chart in the uh in the documentary game changers they they have a study where they put like these um measurement things on their dicks wow <laughs> so that when they get boners they can measure the, the the strength of it all right so it is possible but you yeah. see basically the the, the line graph but goes very exciting in the beginning mm-hmm. first couple times very exciting and then once you go down and watch it at 10 times 20 times 30 times this they're they're basically bored mm-hmm. until you show them anything else another clip and all of a sudden it goes flying up mm-hmm. yeah so Makes the, sense. the truth to that mm-hmm. okay we're finishing wait, that wait, wait, with wait. Uh, still on that topic with this whole evolution, process, evolutionary like mindset of how uh, kind of our psyche works, what is what are your thoughts on, or, or does it change your thoughts on marriage? So the truth is, I understand why monogamy does not make sense evolutionarily. Evolutionary, right, right. And monogamy is something so new. So the idea that it's just one person raising, like one couple raising a child, it was not never the case. It used right. to be a whole a community, tribe, a whole village, tribe. Yeah would raise all the children. And honestly, I think it makes a lot of sense that way. You'll have more well-rounded children because there's always somebody to take care of them. I think it's going to become increasingly difficult with a lot of things that are going on in society. First of all, we're completely individualistic. Everything is catered towards us. So if the person that we're marrying doesn't satisfy 
every single little need that we have, we're going to become very frustrated. Also, with both um, people working, it's going to be really hard to, like, give the attention that we need to the children. Right, sure. Um, and people are getting married later, and it's just, there's a lot of things happening. So, I think I struggle with the idea of monogamy. I mean, I haven't never been in a monogamous marriage, so it's, like, hard for me but to say. But if you like, I, the Bible, it doesn't exist, right? Right, monogamy thousands is not of years. Thing, yeah, for thousands of years. It's interesting. And it's for the same reason, also, like, what you were saying about getting used to things and, like, yeah, being novelty. in a routine. So, so, let's finish that off. Sexual fantasies. The third one, uh, I thought this was the most interesting one. Power and control. I think that one makes so the most sense. So 25% of people had this fantasy, right? Power plays. They showed that 75% of people had at least one fantasy in this area, a BDSM, right? So explain that. Explain, a BDSM is defined, I forgot what it's called, but it's basically giving pain, enduring pain. Yeah, so what, what about that is appealing to us? That makes no sense. Well, we're uh, aggressive. Bondage something, sadomasochist? Sadomasochism. Maybe. So what do you got on this? Um, part of human Maybe nature is to be really to. aggressive. And that also comes from evolution. The people who are more aggressive are more likely to survive. Um, and there's something attractive about just ha- having control. Mm-hmm. Like that's when we feel powerful. When we Having control. control or being controlled? So I would say the more common one biologically is to have the control, to be able right. to ha- have control or power over somebody else. It doesn't even have to be um, like power and control in terms of actually physically beating somebody up. But you'll also see like there's a very high likelihood that within porn there's going to be some sort of power dynamic so yeah, one so of them that makes sense like, to me that makes sense to me but mm-hmm. talk to me about the, the receiver it's the same oh the receiver mm-hmm. why would you so i would say the receiving, you're saying right of, that of, of yeah. receiving pain right personally pain. and i don't know if this is proven in any way but i would say that probably is more um nurture than nature i would say if something happened within your childhood where you were the victim or you were victimized right. and that somehow got sexualized right. because you associated with with some experience um or if you were in a relationship in which you were you know like on the bottom in physically or, you know, like, uh, whatever. So, I mean, there's, like, there's, there's also, down. there's also like, uh, um, you associate those things. Like you said, a nurture piece of it where you kind of think you deserve it or something. And not, not, maybe not sexually, but I'm saying in general, like why would people be in abusive relationships or why would they, you know, take abuse, uh, um, day after day emotionally, maybe physically to why not walk away from it? And there's like, I think a component of, the person feeling like they deserve it. Yeah, there is. And there's and maybe so there's actually there's eighty percent. I'll just tell you a little stat. There's eighty <laughs> percent today. By the way, today eighty percent of Indian soap operas, their storyline, eighty percent of them have what a forced sexual scene, right? So the he, rape. a guy rape. basically rapes a girl, and then what happens? The victim falls in love with him. They call uh, they have a term for it. It's called uh, slap and kiss, right? So part of the part <laughs> of the I thing in Mexican. Part of the. Part of the, um, it, it's an Indian, but okay. Oh, part, of the, part of the, part of the, yeah, appeal is just that we're, we have to think about things that are taboo also, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it exciting to us, is that what you're Yeah, saying? and that goes with the novelty also. Right, it's all related. Yeah, but the idea of also like feeling like you deserve it in some way, it's not only that, it's also the idea that this is how you see love. So going back to the parents really shaping the way that we think, if in my parental relationship, I was always like yelled at and I was always the victim, but that's how I see love. Love is me being yelled at. That's what I associate love with. So a lot of times we search for partners that treated us the way that we were treated by our parents because that's the understanding that we have of what love is. So that can really come into play also with our sexual fantasies. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point because you kind of say like, daughters end up marrying their fathers mm-hmm. um, in, back into the sexual Oedipus terms. Complex. It's like, they're, yeah, they're always, <laughs> they're either just daddy in fucking porn. Yeah. It's like, 
There's, there's, I don't Social know, taboo. Going on yes, but I, obviously, I, but obviously, like girls don't want to get raped in real life. So, like, why do they dream of that, or why do they fantasize? They want to get that? raped without it, consensual rape. I feel like it's also that part of yeah, of people okay. being attracted to those like really aggressive guys that they can end up turning into softies. That's like a really common thing in women's love fantasy novels. Right. Guys. Okay, so, we're gonna finish this topic off with the question <laughs> I always wanted to ask you guys, which is describe your sexual fantasy in one word, Dick. One term. One word. One term. Well, one one like sexual one, term. What are you typing into Google? Oh, for <laughs> I don't Come I on, don't even know. Um, uh, I I can't I can't think Come of on, it. What am I just typing in? Yeah, typing in. No, but then I just like a uh, uh, like a category like okay, babe yeah. or something. But babe? that's yeah, that's, that's not that's not a sexual fantasy. What's your fantasy? Think about your fantasy. My word would be story. It can't just be Ooh, like going right into it. It has to have some sort it's of plot. Just story. I got you. Um, okay. Well, you, are you, you well versed on porn now that you were uh, that you took a step? Yeah, class? Story. Very well versed. And the question I really had was like, I was really surprised. Why were there so many porn things about like? Well, I asked Ezra this before, but like step siblings or like moms. It's just yep. so uncomfortable. I was it's, like, why it's socially ever... taboo? That's what it's about. Right. Okay. okay. Well, you mentioned yeah, because this before. It's, it's a forbidden fruit for right, sure. Right, right. It's like because mom, mom is so uncomfortable. No, you see mother in law. No, they never mom. do. They're no straight up mom. They do stepmom. Stepmom. Because right. mom, mom is a filth. That's a little too. Up. Yeah, it's a little too close for comfort. Um, you mentioned this before, but we're gonna finish this topic off with sexual orientation, right? So I want to know psychologically, are there environmental factors also that go into what a sexual orientation is? Gay, straight. There's, I mean, there's so many letters at this point, LGBTQ, XYZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the psychology behind that change? My favorite story that I've, like, the anecdote that I've experienced on this that really, like, changed my view of this. It was in Hunter College. It was in that intro to LGBTQI class. Um, and I was friends with this guy, and he was really just, like, the GBF. Like, the guy that you look at, and you're like, he's the gay best friend. Like, he's mm. such the gay best friend guy. He's, like, a cuddly teddy bear. He has the feminine voice. And basically, he was saying one day in the class, like, out of frustration, he was just like, Every single girl that I'm ever friends with thinks that I'm gay to the point where I was like, it's so much easier for me to just be gay. Like I like women, but it would just be so much easier. Guys hit on me. Girls won't look at me. He's like, for a really long time in high school, I tried to be gay. I tried to hook up with guys. I tried to like it. He's like, I could not like it. And the truth is that most studies really do back this up where really most of it is nature, not nurture. Um, And I think like, any straight guy can tell you that it's really, really difficult. To, You're making a very bold like statement that like every it. gay guy did it because of something that happened to them. During no, the no, the opposite. No, the opposite. Nature. nature. Oh, nature. nature. Okay, got it. Okay, <laughs> you, you, you almost had it. No, most, of the, most of the psychological research, uh, most of the research, it's does, just nature. Does, does say that it's nature over nurture. Right. Okay, so what what is physically happening? Like, where are the chromosomes differently placed? Like, what is this? What is the actual science behind it? Nobody really. They don't nobody has that. Yeah, it's not no, a. You don't want to think of it as an abnormality because. So it used to be actually in the DSM, which is how you diagnose psychological disorders. Mm-hmm. Being gay was in the DSM. It was a psychological disorder, just like schizophrenia, yeah, just like character. bipolar disorder, just like all those. So this is going to disagree nowadays, with you. This is going to disagree with you. There's, there was a study that environmental factors are four times as important as genetics for women in, the, in defining their sexual orientation. So for women, I would say it's a little bit different because women are more sexually fluid. So right. Albert Kin- Alfred Kinsey... The Kinsey scale. He came up with the Kinsey scale, which basically says that nobody's um, sexual orientation is really just gay or straight. It's not a dichotomy. A it's like a spectrum. We're on a spectrum and on everything. More yeah. men are likely to report, again, this is like self-report, that they are 
like ones or sixes, so like extremely straight or extremely gay, and mm. women are more likely to be more sexually fluid. Right. Um, so based on that, there was a study, um, gay and straight people, right, that had their sexual responses, uh, the, the sexual responses recorded, like you guys are saying, right? And while they're watching different films, right? So the first thing they saw was straight sex, man and woman. Second was gay sex, man and man, and, and then woman and woman. They saw a man masturbating, a woman masturbating, and then they had bonobo sex, which was basically like monkeys, right? So what happened? The gay guys, what were they interested in, Dick? Man, I'm man. The gay videos, right? The straight men, what were they interested in? Right, men on women. Or right, women the straight, on women. The straight videos. <laughs> but women, they showed a chart of it. They were turned on by everything, right? Even so the bonobos. To the point where the lesbians, <laughs> the lesbians, the lesbians were aroused hornier. by the bonobos more than the gay sex. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. What's the, what's the science on that one? It's women being more sexually fluid. Right. That's it. So, so <laughs> I, I like how there's a part, an aspect of it that's reported, right? So it's like, whether a, a gay guy will be way more, if he's out, let's say, will be way more on that scale of like, I only like men, whatever it is, and the straight guy's gonna be scared to admit that he maybe has some sex, uh, gay sexual tendencies or whatever it is. But um, is there a, 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 a chemical difference? Like, is, is there, do they have um, a gay gene? Right. So to speak. That's the question. There's no such thing as a gay. No. Not, okay. Not that's been found. From that is Carol. So in that case, it, it wouldn't be nature then. It wouldn't be nature. Because there's no specific. We, we gene. can we can pretty much point to like almost every. Because it's gene. not a, because you're thinking of it as some sort of like. It's an expression. Like an abnormality of some sort. No, so no, like no, people no, who are saying. nice. Is there, versus is there a straight gene? People who are nice versus people who are mean. Like there's no genetic difference in the gene. But I would say that's nurture. Why? Temperament, like your personality, your way of being with the yeah. world is genetic. It okay. can be changed. Final question for both of you guys before our break. <laughs> we were talking about this at dinner. What percent? You were talking about having a, a spectrum, right? What percent gay are you? Oh, yeah. I thought this is such an interesting question. What percent gay am I? One to a hundred. What percent gay? Um... I'd probably say like 30%. Zero. 30%. That's a fair response. What 20 bucks is 20 bucks. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. <laughs> that is quite the statement. Okay, <laughs> with that, <laughs> nah, I'll see. We're going on a little break. We'll see you later. Episode 25 of Big Takes with Dick and Bones. We're here with our favorite psychologist, therapist, teacher, Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck in the booth. Carol, the second part of this podcast, you mentioned that you're passionate about this topic, business and psychology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so marketing, psychology, just give us the definition of that. Like, what does that even mean? So psychology is the study of human behaviors and thoughts. So it's how does people's human behavior and thoughts influence you know, their business decisions, their market. So what, what they're drawn to, what they're attracted to. How do you so use are, it to sell to people? There are um, psychologists that are marketers, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Marketing psychologists, they call Most them. Most people, if they, take, if they take marketing classes, have to take some psych because it, right. it's very highly correlated. Okay, so how I, how I think of psychology and business, 
or marketing is how consumers perceive your brand or your product or your service. Okay. Right, is that a bit? Is that a good good definition? It's definitely one of the facets. I would say that there are probably more, but it's probably the most common facet. Okay, so take us through that part of it. How do you make customers or consumers perceive one thing or another about your brand? How do you do that or your service? So the interesting thing is it actually fits very well with our conversation about attraction because we need to make our products seem attractive, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that they use is mere exposure effect. So we said mere exposure when it comes to people is the more you actually interact with that person, the more you see them, the more likely you are to think that they're attractive. So and the same the thing, shelves. yes, the same thing, not the top shelves, actually, the, it's or the, the, it's eye, the eye, eye level eye. shelves. Um, it's why Instagram is all about like those Instagram ads, because the more you see something, the more likely you are retargeting to, events, right. same thing. Yeah. Right, also see, like guy cow. We do frequency capping in, um, in our buying, like for Instagram where it went up, where we, you could either want to limit the exposure so you only see the ad three times in an hour or we want to flood you with the ad right. so you so we want you to see a minimum of three times per hour and we're paying for mm -hmm. more spots i, I looked street. up i looked up a shirt i was trying to buy a oh, dress shirt course. i know where this is going the entire day all i saw all i saw were, were shirt ads no, I, I didn't buy it in crack there's, but it's very difficult to not crack there's an amazing meme it's like you ever need a dress for a wedding it's so easy just Say it out loud and you'll just get ads for every single red you know, dress. You know, like this works? you know why this works? It's so, like you said, it's so top of mind and it's right in front of your face that the second something changes, one of your shirt rips or right. they give you a sale or right, what are you going to go and do? You're going to immediately buy the shirt because you've been just, the exposure to it's been so high. So, so is there any truth, Dick, you're in digital marketing. Is there any truth to the fact that what Carl just said, you mentioned something to your friend or you mentioned someone all of a sudden. Oh, friends, friends on Facebook that you that suggesting that you know is that person so, you literally so, spoke about. Sure. How much does the marketing industry know about? So us? it'd be very nice to, to if if we knew that that information because it would make our targeting better. But what Facebook and Google allow us to do as a, as programmatic buyers, meaning we're doing like auction bidding on every single time we want to um, put our ad somewhere. What our targeting allows us to do is choose a group. So like. Um, if we wanted to do, uh, ages 18 to 24 males that play sports and, um, and excel in school or right, something or like make a, over a hundred K they have, right. Oh yeah. So sure. They have those audiences built out. Now, are those audiences built out on Alexa data and Siri data That's and right. all that? Very possible. Wow. I, th I think it is, but they, they will Facebook, uh, Google, Google, and Amazon, they won't leak that information out. Of course not. But from our end, we're able to get pretty specific. And how do they get this information? I mean, you have to think right. that, that those things Alexa's are involved. That's why Alexa's so cheap because they're not making money off they're of collecting the data. thing. They're collecting the data. It was actually a uh, yeah, a thing about Facebook that you could, you could go in, first of all, and turn off your mic settings. <laughs> so they said, very simple, guys. Just turn so off your – go to the settings well, and turn right off mic microphone. And another thing I found interesting is I went on Facebook and under certain – I forgot what the actual well, – With technology, if you're able to turn it off, that means you can't actually ever be sure it's off. Right. That's actually there's, there's no – it's not a switch. It's, it's a setting. So the setting could just be overridden. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, on Facebook, there's a couple different sections you have to go to and it basically you see your – your target group, right? So they, where, they no, no, no. Where, not, where do you fall? Right. Within, what is oh, yeah. what does Facebook think I am? I forgot this, but it was pretty accurate for the most part. It was like yeah. an avid traveler who makes X amount a year, over X amount a year, and like uh, and likes to likes to eat pizza or something. Like it was like random things. They thought I was a liberal 
They they, uh-huh. they 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 try to guess your political view. Interesting. So, so they don't try to. Bottom line is guessing. They're, no. they're not guessing. They're you know, using, I've heard that's using data more. that that things you've clicked on, things you've searched right. within Facebook, uh, your friends, mm-hmm. their likes. It's using all these algorithms. It's not guessing. One more thing that I found that was so interesting, specifically with Facebook, is that we all know that you can target based on like demographic and things that they think about you. But what you can actually do, which I find insane, is you can say, okay, here is Carol Black. This is what she looks like. Target girls that look like her. So Facebook will actually take look your like photo. Audiences. It's so cool. Wow. It's so, like based, so now, they think that based on what we look like, that we have similar other right. you know, things so about us. As Crazy. a consumer, and we're going a little, little different than what we were talking about in the last section, but as a consumer now, do you like that fact or do you resent it? I hate it. it. I, I hate resent it. it. Okay, so uh, let me give you the marketing standpoint. <laughs> I now see things I would like. Why would I want to be targeted for women's bras? I'm never going to purchase one. It is literally empty. It, it, because it is, I don't want to spend all my money. Well, Stop that, trying to make and me spend also, money. I want to save be, my now money. Now I can be a more educated consumer. I know more things Listen, than you don't I know. At some point, it becomes creepy. I think that's the main story. And you, you're thinking yeah, to yourself, am I being got nothing Okay, we're moving on, Carol. <laughs> we mentioned, you actually mentioned to us that you like the science or psychology of decision making, right? Yes. So a couple podcasts ago, we mentioned Mike Cohenport on the break. Um, he spoke about heuristics. He spoke, spoke about some biases mm-hmm. and a confirmation bias. But just walk us through. You're walking down the aisle or you're seeing an ad. What? How, how do consumers... Walking down the aisle, she had a wedding? Oh, the yeah. aisle, sorry, the aisle, the supermarket. Oh, uh, that's following. Right, right. Uh, my bad. Uh, one track uh, mind, what, psycho- <laughs> what psychological things make up, make up a consumer's purchasing decision? You mentioned you see the same ad over and over and over. How do consumers actually psychologically approach a, a purchasing decision? So the whole thing is that we do not make a lot we don't put a lot of thought into our decisions we make thousands of decisions a day more hundreds of thousands it could be and a lot of our choices are made based on choice blindness we we're on autopilot we make a decision we don't even know that we just made that decision if we had to think about every single decision we wouldn't get anything done we would have such decision fatigue we wouldn't be able to do anything um so but the crazy thing is that if you go back and you ask somebody afterwards why did you make that choice? We come up with a whole elaborate reason why we bought that thing. So a lot of the reasons that we're actually buying things are because of outside, you know, whether it be marketing or some sort of emotional attachment right. that we have to a product. But if you ask us why, we will say, because it's the best product, because it's the most reliable, because I know it's the best. Ah, so, so marketing surveys are always kind of bullshit then. Yes. Because you're, you're making a story for the result as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, having a reason and getting to the result. Right. You have but the result a, already. As a marketer, how discouraging is that? Like you put in all this thought and you run all these metrics and at the end of the day, the consumer is not even making any decision based on any logical reasoning. So, I mean, obviously the, the product has to come into play a little bit, but the marketing can a lot of times overshadow the entire product. So there's this really interesting study where they go up to people in a restaurant and they give them five different types of water. Mm-hmm. It's all hose water. And each one has a different label and right. a different thing. And basically what happens is the waiter gives them this whole story. Like, this is from the Amazon rainforest <laughs> and this is from the glaciers. And you right. hear people saying, yes, this one's more crisp. This one's Tastes more... Like... And I think part of that is also what we were talking about before is like you want to elevate your status. You want to feel like you're a person who knows things and you really convince yourself right. that that's the case, which is crazy. They actually, at the end, got them to drink a bottle of water that had a spider on the bottom. <laughs> and they set, and people rated that one as the best tasting of oh. all because of the cognitive if I'm gonna drink water that has a spider in it, it must be delicious. So I love that. eyewitness news with uh, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Fallon, 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 Fallon,
Oh, did you see the new Apple Watch? Right. It looks like, a, and they have a, a twenty dollar like normal watch <laughs> right. that does nothing. You see the new uh, features on it, and people are like, oh yeah, it's amazing. So you see the water example. You see it with a story, but you also see it with price, right? Mm-hmm. So there's something called prestige pricing, mm-hmm. and I see this in my daily job. Things that things that the more you charge for them, the more you charge for them, the more value is perceived for them. So an example for me is lawyers. An eight hundred dollar an hour lawyer is much more attractive to me because I. I think that now he's a better lawyer. You get what you or pay for. wine, right? You, there's plenty of studies out there. You take two bottles of wine, one's worse, one's better, mm-hmm. and you switch the labels or you switch the uh, price right. tags. It's similar to the wine. Now all of a sudden they 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 uh there's they prefer whole, that one. There's a whole series on YouTube on experts being able to just uh, blind taste test and deciphering the quality hundred dollar chocolate bar versus the two, one dollar Hershey's bar or the wine expensive versus uh, or whiskey. Mm-hmm. They have all these different videos. Just because of that, like, is that what uh, uh, pushes our decisions? Is the marketing or is the actual genuine product? Right. So that is an effort to product. show it. If I'm buying wine, this is my. I well, think that's it, you. I think this is like fifty percent of guys. They look for. Probably more, probably they more. look for <laughs> the medium this, price. They look for the cheapest price that, that looks, looks the cool. best. That, was cool. that yeah, looks yeah. the most expensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, if, you buy, if you buy gift, I remember it's all marketing. I, I couldn't care less what I'm in, in in Israel when I went to the shuk. I remember going to. Uh, a wine place to get uh, a bottle for Shabbat for the Sabbath. And I, I remember thinking, what's, what's your cheapest wine? Cheapest wine, but, when, but it look, has to look good. Look, look I, look, no, I looked at all the $6 wines or whatever <laughs> it is, and I was like, wow, this one has a cool label on it. It's like the marketing it was the only it's play there. The mm-hmm. It was the only play. They opened the fake Payless. Like then they gave it like this really fancy oh. name and they brought all these celebrities and these influencers to try on the shoes and they were all talking about it's such good quality. You can tell like the, the shoes awesome. were marked like thousands less? of dollars and they were literally pay less shoes. Wow. And it was a great marketing well, tactic for them. People buy Kanye's for yeah, Yeezys. So, so whatever it's also the opposite of it, right? Something about um, like a free something is always sketchy. You know, you feel that? Or like the value goes down. So I used to be in the conference business and my company ran 300 com- networking conferences a year and we as I was in sales... I always wanted the price of the ticket to be lower. They charge whatever they charge, very cheap, you know, one ninety nine. Other conferences are charging a thousand. Thousands, yeah. And I wanted it to be like fifty bucks, uh, and even or even th- like free. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize I actually ran a free event because I had control over the pricing. Nobody came. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Because they associate something that's free value. with lower value. Right. So I, you know, that was part of the whole psychology. And I would say also that if you don't put in anything then you're, you're not invested at all. So again, right. it goes back to cognitive dissonance. If I'm willing to, the same way, if I'm willing to drink a cup of water with a spider in it, if I'm willing to spend $500 for something, but then I'm like, this isn't really worth $500, the most likely thing that we're going to do when we have that dissonance is we change our belief. So we change our belief to believe, wow, this conference is actually worth $500. It's amazing. Right. So there is really that part well, of it. That's why I have yeah. all those suckers that sign up for six-month gym memberships and think they're, that's going to make them go because now they're committed. Right. It's fifteen bucks. Dang, I'll right. So uh, something else about price signaling. Uh, ninety-nine cent stars. You, you look into this a little bit. No, so the change, basically, the change from one dollar to ninety-nine cents is the first, the left or leftermost digit going down one. That's the most important thing, and then ending in a nine for some reason. So a little study from MIT. Um, women's clothing, right? So well, the, what they did in, was in a nine is important because yep. what I would think is what is the how could you make something look cheaper than right. it is. So, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you. $39.99 versus $40. So, so the prices were set to $34, $39, and $44. Oh, okay. What was the most uh, best-selling? $39. Why? Because you said it. 
<laughs> because it's not yet forty. Over over the the cheaper item, thirty four dollars right. cheaper. Yeah, item. yeah. So over that one. Oh, basically, but what you were saying. So it looks like oh, it's a, basically a forty dollar item, sure. but I feel like I'm getting a steal on it. Yeah, thirty nine dollars. Thirty nine. Dick was right. It did better than thirty four, which right. I thought I thought yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and the last point on this is that there are certain products that they look worse if you put them ending in a nine. So you like think what? about like expensive items, oh, even like, like the lawyer. Life. Imagine a lawyer charged like. Three ninety nine per hour. You think uh, what is yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Four hundred two zeros yeah, yeah, yeah. solid. Right. You wow. See that? So I think why we're getting a little surprised about a bunch of these things is because I would like to hope that we're more educated consumers and we kind of see through. Even though there's definitely some subconscious um, things that we can't really push through, but we see through these some some of these tricks. Like we know we it, we'll look into the product itself. If it's good, I want the cheapest one. Where other people are like, no, it has to be shitty. You know, they won't go maybe go through that research. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we see something that's $34, we'll be like, well, how is it equivalent to the $39? Jeff Shrem, who's been on this uh, show before, he is a very savvy buyer because he knows that he has to be spend his money correctly and get the, the best value in order to, uh, um, you know, be investing for his future. He's, right. we, we call him his accountant in that, in that <laughs> case. But, but um I feel like a lot of uh, just middle America might see a price and be very influenced by the nine, by the, yeah, the middling price. So talk to me, Carol, about other aspects, other motivators in our decisions. And I want to talk about, first of all, loss aversion. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, right. I'm going into a meeting, and, uh, which I do regularly, and I always, I'm always thinking about what motivates the person sitting across from me at the table. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, loss aversion is a big one, right? Yeah. Loss aversion is huge. Most humans are loss averse. We, the amount of pleasure that we get from gaining is a thousand times, gr- like we would have to gain right. a thousand times. That's why I think the to- gambling is a thing. Right. Well, that's also So for example, my, yeah. my, in my company, I help uh, commercial landlords make money. Mm-hmm. My whole thing is income, income, income. And you think that's the, that's the, that's the incorrect pitch I should be making. I should be making, I'm helping you avoid a loss, basically. Helping you. Is that, is that the basic, basic concept there? So there's two frames of, of mind, and I think your best bet is to do both. But it's not about saying, I'm going to make you money. It's actually you have to paint a picture for them. So you have to paint mm-hmm. a picture in which sometime in the future, they're in this better stage because they have the money. Happier. So just telling somebody that you have the money, that's one thing. But if you can create an image of what you will, you will be more successful, people will, you have more, clon- like whatever it might be. Make them visualize it. Make them visualize it. Yeah, and then fun. when they see themselves in the place, their imagination runs wild again, their fantasy, their power, going back to those things, they can visualize for themselves what that looks like. That's much more powerful than um, gains, right. but also the feeling of avoiding loss. So mm-hmm. using both of those things together. The story is very cool. Um, I don't know if you know Shark Tank. Yes, I do. Okay, so you know, um, what's the name? The QVC lady? What's her name? Barbara? No. no. Uh... Lori. Lori Grenier, right. So Lori Grenier, when she's making pitches, and by the way, it's interesting that Lori is not worth a tenth of Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. She's worth like I mean, 200 most, million. Most of them aren't. And she's worth like, uh, you know, and Mark Cuban's worth like two, 4 billion or something, right? But she holds her own. How? She so has a great the skill. the outlier in that situation. Right. She has a great skill of when she's, when she's now making the pitch to the, to, the, to the business person, she says, she paints a picture really right. well. So she goes, he goes, you know, in a year from now, we're all going to be sitting together. It was a woman uh, entrepreneur. She goes, you'll all be sit- with all your daughters. We're going to be sitting in the living room, painting each other's nails, figuring out how we're going to spend our first million dollars. And yeah. the person says, you know what? I like the concept. I like the, I like the, 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 the picture of us in a room and uh, painting our nails. 
your, I got your... I so got the your interesting book. thing is that the girl was actually able to pinpoint why she chose Lori. Most people, again, they would do that choice blindly. So they would make the choice based on some gut feeling that they had and not be able to pinpoint it. And then they would go back and say, I picked Lori because I think that she would be the best shark. She's the most savvy. She has the right, most right, connections. Right. Not realize that it was some other external thing that really made us make the decision. Interesting. Yeah, even if it was a worse deal, right? Right. Even if she missed out on a worse deal. Interesting. And that's especially, what, by that's, the way, especially if you've made a worse deal. Again, she has to be cognitive, defensive. Yeah. cognitive dissonance. Marketing is so much about, at least um, TV ads, are so much about creating that story. Uh, that's Corona's entire brand. Well, with sitting on a beach with the lime, right? Um, that's uh, every car commercial. Puts you in with whether it's a, a, a off-roading type of thing where you're camping with your family or you the, your wife bought you a car for Christmas, which never happens. Right. But they put you in the scenarios, oh, you throw your dog in the back of the car and just, uh, the whole family gets in. They're all where you want yourself to be or what you want. Like commercial with the pretty like. girls in it. So the really interesting one is Axe because Axe really revolutionizes. Yeah, it. It's like yeah, that yeah. loser that sprays the Axe on yeah. them and everybody follows. But what you have to be really careful for is what ended up happening. Other brands started doing this and then what it ended up becoming was – so it was huge. But then what happened was really nerds were going and spraying acts on themselves. And then it became like the nerd, the, the nerd, the nerd brand, thing. The nerd, yeah. And then it really went down the toilet because even though you're seeing in the, in the ads, which is, by the way, huge fancy going back to what we, it was before, that group sex sort of thing where right. you're the one guy yeah. with thousands of girls jumping yeah. on you. Right? But they, now they it became associated made it, made a nerd Quick question. Perfect guy. He has every perfect possible. Friday. But he sprays Axe. Oh, he sprays Axe. I actually like the smell of Axe. Oh, man. Oh, gross. Okay, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned confirmation biases, right? Like people defending their actions. So I was actually reading a book. Uh, it's called Games People Play. I don't know if you've read it. Yeah. And it's about social games constructs that people play. I, don't know, I forgot the author. But Fuck him. it's, about, it's about games, social constructs people play unconsciously. When they're in, uh, you know, social situations. So one of them was, one of them was uh, when someone when someone plays victim. Basically, they say, "Oh, Bob can't uh, fix the roof, and he's a he's a he's a he's a low life, or he's you know useless." And so, and if she's in a group of her friends, for example, her friends will say, "Well, why didn't you hire you know a, a contractor?" And she'll shoot it down, right? She'll say, "Oh, they're too expensive." Or, she's, or you'd say, oh, why doesn't Bob take a class in carpentry? And she's like, "Oh, that's uh, he's in another time." He'll so never do that. She'll play victim. She'll play dumb. And try to shoot down every single one of the solutions, the possible solutions from the people in her group, even though they might be good solutions, right? Mm-hmm. She has to defend herself so, so like, so vigorously mm-hmm. that uh, that she like is illogical. So one of the ways you solve this is you ask her, "Oh, that sucks," or "Oh, that's oh, that's tough to hear." What are you gonna do about it? You flip it back on her. Yeah, right? you make them Come make, up the, with make the decision. Also, that you do not, you're not um, putting them in a defense position. Right. So if you're saying – first, you're sympathizing with them. Oh, that right. sucks or whatever. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You're validating whatever emotion they're feeling, which everyone wants to be validated, right? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. you want to be uh, you want to be accepted. So you're doing that, checking that off the box, and now you're putting the pressure on them to figure out a solution. The truth is even if you didn't flip it on them – so I learned this as a therapist. You think as a therapist you're giving them advice, but that's the worst thing yeah. that you could do because like you said, if you're giving them all these ideas, they're going to shoot them down and nobody wants to take an idea that feels like it's not theirs. Like if you ever watched Inception, if a dream Ooh. or like an idea is coming into your brain and you feel like it's not yours, you're going to attack yeah, it. Yeah, we yeah. do that all the time. So even just saying, wow, that sucks well, I just thought about and like leaving it there. going the body and attacking like that's a foreign really, yeah. uh, idea. Interesting. Yeah. But that's really what it is. It's you feel like the idea is not yours so you attack it. So if you just even were to say to somebody, like she's saying, oh, I, I can't do this, I can't do that, and then you just say, that sucks. 
Now the only thing that they can do, even if you say, now what are you going to do? If you, if you don't say that, right. then now they have to come up with like, right. conversation. Yes. Right. So they're like, it does suck, but you but, know what? I really could just hire somebody to do it. Right. So that's what we do naturally. But if you give me an idea, then I could just turn it down. So you guys, as, as therapists, definitely uh, really poke that um, awkward silence moments. And since you know, you know that people hate it. So they're going to be forced to come up with something to say next. And it's generally going to be a, something related to what they were just talking about. Pro- hopefully a solution. Yeah. Well, wow, so, you know, I never thought about it like that. Because yeah. like, I know in like a dating life or something like that, there's always that one person that wants to fill every void Every moment of silence is something. They just get awkward. I'm like that. If you could, <laughs> so so what I've learned, what I've learned is, if you could own that moment, mm-hmm. and let's say I've been driving conversation for I don't know the past ten minutes, and and I just keep asking questions and and trying to get a, like a very smooth flow, and then I decide, uh, you know what, I'm gonna have this other person drive the conversation a little bit. I'm gonna just let let it air out. They get so awkward right. that they need to say something. They 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 absolutely cannot stand it. The more I, anxious I, person, they're gonna go. They're gonna go. What you done? What you There's a few things that happen. You just now by by abstaining from saying anything, you're in more, even more control. You're right. in more place of power. power shift, right. And and you have what is called what people say is like the frame. Well, you control like the entire situation. Like yes. I thought you were going to say part of what, like, a, a sign for me that you're really close to someone or you love someone is that you're, you're comfortable in the silence. silence. I agree. We're not, we're not sure, trying yeah. to impress each other I anymore. as well, yeah. Right? Um, okay, so, Carol, I want to go into... You know what? You hang out with somebody long enough, you just can't fucking talk about everything. <laughs> so, right. we're so going to be comfortable yeah, looking at our phones. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's fine. Um, okay, Carol. So, as I mentioned, I go to a lot of meetings and I'm always interested in the psychology of negotiation mm-hmm. or, again, like, what makes people buy. So um, based on that, I was reading a book um, called Never Split the Difference by this guy called Chris Voss. I do uh, look at other sources besides for explained, right? So Bones Chris Voss- has, Bones has, has brought up so many different points from this book to me. It's a great book. Okay, so Highly I recommend it. I need to get this guy, Chris Voss, Chris Voss, he was a former FBI hostage negotiator. Wow. So he cool. used to be the guy on the phone with, High a, fucking with, a, with a, a robber with a gun to someone's head mm-hmm. as a hostage. And he had to talk them out of doing it. So he yeah. knows his stuff. Does he have a success rate? I'm curious. Yeah, he has the he has he has like the most. He was the number one. He was rated the number one, the world's number one. I wonder what the world's number one success rate is. Probably pretty low, but right? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that wild? It's like yeah. baseball. It's yeah. like hitting 300. It's amazing. But you but he has he has literally a list of things that I at this point I I printed it out. I have yeah. it every single it's phone call. I use these points a lot of one of his biggest points is called mirroring, which as you probably know, mm-hmm. you basically just either mirror their physical. Uh, language. Body language, or you, he, what he says is you actually repeat the last three words of, of the sentence. That's all you do. So, for you example, if you say, if you say, um, say anything, I, I took my son to the store. You took your son to the store. To the store. Interesting. See, I think that works a lot. It also gets extremely annoying. Okay, but the you problem have is you don't sure that they don't right. catch you. Yes, you don't. But always if they don't, doing what that. happens? This is, is a therapist technique. By what happens is what happens is they elaborate and the whole point of sales is to try to find out the black swan mm-hmm. you know to try to find out the inner inner reason that they are not doing the business deal with you something so what do you have to do to get there you have to make them talk so if you say the last three words now all of a sudden now you're listening to me okay i'm going to explain i'm going to keep going i'm going to give you more facts more facts more facts to the point where you can make an actual presentation to them about what they like that's really cool 
Another really interesting study that they've done, well, actually two, but I'll start with the first one, um, <laughs> is they found that if you can get the person to say yes three times mm. before you ask them for the That's question, right. they're more likely to say yes because they're in that. It also goes with the foot in the door technique, which is if you can get somebody to comply with something small, they're more likely to comply with something big because you, you end up feeling like it's part of your personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm a yes person now. So it's hard for me to be like, okay, yes, yes, yes. But even if it's just like, is this a good time to speak? Yes. I would disagree with you. Yeah. So Chris Voss actually disagrees with you. He says he does. It's interesting because he says the three yes thing, mm-hmm. but he also mentions the power of no. And oh, I yeah. found this to power be very, no. very interesting because I test this out. I'm in sales. You want them to say no or you say no? You want them to say no. So that they feel like they're not just doing everything the classic, you want them to do. Sales, oh, the classic sales uh, uh, training is what is, is make them say yes. So the guy calls me up. This actually happened. Hello, sir. Uh, do you drink water? And I'm like, please, man. <laughs> I'm like, I actually told him this. I'm like, bro, you got to go back to sales school because yeses, yeses are, are, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you should have just a, screwed him up. No, <laughs> no, I don't drink water. Um, so the point is that by saying yes, you're just putting the guy off. You're just right. putting up a shield. I'm not interested. Yeah. I'll nod you to death while I'm not even thinking about what you're saying. Right. So the point is that once you say no, now all of a sudden they said no to something. That right. means they must pay attention to it. Right. So I don't say is now a good time. I say is now a bad time. Is now a bad time is a very simple way for them to say no. It's fine. It's a great time. Ah. No, no, no. But once the word no comes out of their mouth, then all of a sudden now they're focused. Right. Interesting. Any comment on that, Dick? No. I, I mean, I think both have their merit. You have to be again if they figure out what you're trying to do then they feel like they're being played right. so as long as you can mask that both techniques have their merit right but uh, what the second i know you're you're coercing me into an right. answer i'm gonna be like fuck this guy whatever he wants me to do i'm not unless you're not no, i guess the overall question is books like chris voss right is it manipulation like would you consider what he's doing manipulation or it's just uh it's know, would, you, would you consider dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people would you consider therapists manipulators because they're using tactics and techniques right, in order right, right. to get you to feel a certain way or think a certain way right so that that comes into play with a morality question with um people that are you know extremely um not, well either asper not so much asperger's but on the spectrum of asperger's doesn't exist anymore so it's autism so oh right the, I, I didn't know that <laughs> Um, but if they're super autistic, they become more, it's, it's more like, um, uh, uh, robotic, yeah. I would say where you're, you're, you're getting a specific response out of, um, out of them that you want. So is that moral to have that, that situation where you, you know, they don't yeah. really have, you're it's like, like, like cheating in baseball, basically. No, he's saying, it's like immoral. is it moral for me no, to that, choose exactly what, right. so when, when I'm, I've done this, I've done behavior therapy, yeah, exactly. which behavior is really, therapy, that's the it's, it's literally just reinforcing and rewarding anytime they do something that you consider favorable like behavior. Like a dog, Pavlov's yeah. dog. Right. And it's, well, Pavlov's dog is mm. classical conditioning, this is opera conditioning, so it's a little bit different. Okay. But it's like, anytime they do something that you find favorable, you reward them with mm. like a treat. That's interesting. Right? So, but who am I? I'm not God. I'm not the person to say that like what you're doing is good or bad. I'm trying to get you to comply with social standards, but who's to say that that's that's the right way to be? There was a book uh, also I'm reading. It's called Habits. um, And it gives a three-step process to every habit. The basic steps are cue. You have to hear something to initiate the habit. The second one is the actual habit. And then the reward. Mm-hmm. So you have to have those three components in every single uh, habit you have. And so now everyone, you know, it's uh, what, January 6th, 5th, people are doing, you know, New Year's resolutions. They, you, for, to do an actual New Year's resolution, you have to follow those three steps. You have to have a cue, a habit, and then a reward for nah, yourself. No, I think it's all bullshit, honestly. All bullshit. Okay. See, I think it works for some people, but I, 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 I am from the, the school of thought where 
And maybe just just because I have a lot of uh, um, like will. Yeah, you have a lot of willpower. But, uh, willpower, but you're the like, exception, not the rule. <laughs> maybe, but if I say I want to fucking do something, you just do it. Right. That's it. It's not that easy. Most people make goals, and then they become they go further and further back. So if you think of your brain like a computer, if you make a file today, and then you make tons of files, and you want to go back and find that file, it's not easily accessible. Right. It's not on your recently used. If you're a very strong-willed person, you're keeping it there. You're you're checking in with it every day. Right. But the further back it goes, that's why it's just like ah, oh, that was that. This old is a question me. we actually asked a bunch of people now. How do you how do you accomplish goals? So in your mind, psychologically, how, do you, how should you accomplish a goal? You have to have small, reasonable goals, and you have to yeah. remind yourself of your reasoning right. the same way we're saying it needs to be that recently used file it needs right. to be right there small achievable, achievable steps, steps. Right. so i guess i guess what having that willpower is is having just a better way to classify those steps well also, like, there's, for me, there's something about mental strength like there are some people who really it's very hard for them especially when they make really long goals so i'll, I'll give you an example when yeah. you're working out there's some people who could say, this is about to be a 60-minute workout. I, I can mentally like go through that the entire time. Yeah. But then what happens, I see this, like let's say, on if you're running on the treadmill. I can run for five minutes straight on, like let's say, seven miles an hour. Right. But when it comes to somebody saying, there's I'm not going to tell you how long this is, and you don't know, like mm -hmm. it's going to stop in 30 seconds, right. then your brain is like, when is this going to end? And right. then when there's that, oh, this is three minutes, in that last minute when you're like, I have a minute left, some people's brains are like, I yep. can't do this last minute, yep. right? So there's all that last mental strength. Yeah. So, but if I didn't know, and I thought I was going to have to go seven minutes, that third minute wouldn't be so yeah, hard. So it's so like, mental. it's all mental. So if you yeah. have like a lot of mental strength, mm -hmm. you're able to have more willpower, you're able to do more things because you're able to like see the bigger picture or yeah. like think of it in a longer way. You don't fall into those traps. So this, uh, I want to go back to the business side of it for yeah, a second. Yeah. And now just to finish on Chris Voss, by the way, he has other factors in the book that are interesting, like getting people to say no is one of them. Um, also avoiding the word why. He says like, when you ask someone, why aren't you interested? Defensive. Very defensive. So instead of saying why are interested. It's so funny because they're yeah. the same thing. You're not allowed to say the word why because it immediately puts the person right. on defensive. So what, what yeah. I say instead is, uh, not instead, but I, what, I always, what I always try to bring up are what sentences yeah. or how sentences. So I say, I say this in every meeting and it gets a great response. It's a, I ask, what are some reasons you wouldn't make this deal? Just right. like casually. Right. And now they have to think, oh, why wouldn't I? They have to address it now. Mm -hmm. Why right? can't I be MVP? And they bring out, in some cases, the actual black swan. So I ask you, I mentioned black swan before because it's the underlying reason that I don't, I'm not moving forward and I, I can't disclose it to you. It's like mm -hmm. this game. I can't show you why I really... So I'll give you an example. Well, that's, showing, to that's, do, weak, that's weakness now because if you hold that yeah. piece right. of information, yeah. you, I just, surre I just surrendered that frame that I talked about before. It's in, you're you're controlling the whole situation, yeah. and now I'm at your will. Nobody wants to be right. in that position. I'll give an example. I, I I first had a meeting with this guy two years ago. I first started my business. He was I think he was the first the first uh, meeting I had client meeting. It went great. My first meeting went went great. This guy not only said that he say great stuff. Not only say I'm in for my portfolio, but I'm gonna find But you are you there. looking for investors to your business? Um, how, yeah, I'm, he got on the phone with three of his friends while I was in the meeting and said, oh, I got to introduce you to somebody. That was wow. meeting number one. Fast forward two years of pain. Still not. This guy, yesing me the whole way. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, next week. Oh, I'm on vacation. Oh, I'm in Israel. And finally, oh, last week, gems. last week, we found out. I found out why he said no. His cousin was someone who, if I came into the deal with him, that guy would be bounced out and he would lose an income stream. It was his you cousin. You told me that when you first started that with that deal. I remember you telling me this. 
And that's wild that you And I just found it out and I wasted two years because obviously I realized, okay, he's not gonna screw over his cousin. Right. If I just knew, if he just told me that right. up front, we would have saved each other a lot of effort. Did he give you another other business? I, I uh, it's funny you said that. Yesterday they sent me one one building and uh, right. hopefully they'll do it. But yeah. but why don't they see that as a as a way to avoid that kind of, of frustration for them also? It's painful. I have, I have a reason for this, but go ahead. Yeah, go Carol. for it. No, go. I, people people avoid confrontation. Mm-hmm. So if I if I could string you along that I'm w- on your team, it makes me feel better. If I have to confront you and say no, I'm out, th- that could lead to now I don't know what you're I don't know what you're gonna do. You're gonna be really angry about it. You're gonna yell at me. You're gonna start you're gonna come to my house and beat me with a bat. Like there's there's such a unknown in that response mm-hmm. that that like why do people string along relationships for over a year? Like mm-hmm. over a year after you you felt. I was not in love with you for the past six years. What, what is that? What the fuck were you doing for the past six years? It's they're scared to confront that situation, so they just keep going business as usual. Now this guy, he actually he's come to a point where he has to say something, right. and he has to confront you. So now you're thinking back, what the fuck was that? Two years, but for him, it was two years of avoiding confrontation. Right, Carol. Last point on this. I want your expertise. Right, I'm in sales. A lot of our our listeners are in sales, or they run businesses and they have to make presentations. What is the psychological method of, of a great meeting? And then part two of that is how would you ad- try to identify the black swan? So, okay, wait. What makes a good meeting? Right. Or a good pre- in what way? Psychologically. What, what actions, what tricks, you call them, should salespeople take to really make a good impact on their, on their client? So I think we hit on a lot of them. I think really like painting that picture, speaking in stories as opposed to like facts. People are swayed. A lot of times we make decisions with like our gut or our feelings and we say that it's logic. But if yeah. I have a good feeling about somebody, I'm more likely to make that deal. And that happens so many times. I, we, we have to work really hard to overcome that. So mm-hmm. making the person feel comfortable, validating them, making them feel heard, speaking in stories more so than I would say any specific like tactic to really win them over. Yeah, I mean, that's a strong, um, if anybody watches Mad Men, that's basically how Don make, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he leads sales uh, or lead, lead a creative. He makes every one of his sales by pitching this grandiose story right. to the <clears throat> to the client. And and it's funny, one of the characters reminds me of Carol, the um, the uh, psychologist or what's what's the name, the one with all the research uh, that Don ends up falling in love with for, for a little stint. Right. She reminds me of that character because... How does Don create all these stories? The research behind uh, and, the, and the psychology behind the consumer has to first be uncovered. And now you could paint that picture. So Carol's like kind of the person that is able to uncover that and then would maybe go to a creative agency or a marketing agency and say, this is what your consumer wants. Build a story out of this to target them. Such a nice compliment. But that's okay. what marketers really do. So I want to finish off with uh, psychology and leadership. I don't know if you like study this at all, but I'm curious between the psychology, obviously we spoke about between, you know, employer to employee or salesperson to potential client, but within organizations, interpersonal relationships, is there any psychological aspect to that? And is there any psychological aspect of how to be a great leader and a great motivator? That's what I want to know. So I'd say the number one factor that always correlates with leadership is confidence. I think people want to be with somebody that they think knows what they're talking about, whether what they're selling is true or not. Somebody who goes in with a lot of confidence is going to be a good leader. Um, some somebody that somebody else is already following. Also, mm-hmm. if you have see that other people are following them, you're more likely to follow the person. 
we already touched on physical appearance. I think that de- that definitely plays a role. Somebody so, good how does a person be- how does a person become a better leader? What tactics would they use to to improve their leadership status? So it's really going to be kind of lame, but I would say I would say really just being confident in whatever you do. Body um, posture is really a big one of it. So yeah. like making sure to stand up tall with your shoulders back and really projecting like your confidence. Um, Show you the alpha. Way. Yeah, Go in with exactly. The so I want to ask you about um, leadership styles also, because when you think of great leaders, you think of very different people, right? Mm-hmm. You think of the Hitler or the Stalin. Very but then you also you also think of uh, like Gandhi. <laughs> like you think of like Gandhi or JFK. <laughs> who are, That's easy to say. No, you think of Gandhi or JFK, who are the complete opposite of those two figures, mm-hmm. right? So, but they're both effective. Like you see both sides of it, and they're both effective. Yeah. So, like, talk to me about but leader. I'll tell you the sports side of this is. Um, I was actually watching um, Last Chance You, right? It was a Bones' new favorite it's show. It's a great Last show, and basically, I had this coach, Jason Brown, and this guy comes into. He's a LA. He was born in Compton. He's he's a tall fat white guy and he was born in Compton so imagine how tough he is mm-hmm. and they hire him for a community college in Independence Kansas complete and utter opposite of this guy and he brings a very interesting coaching style which is yelling and screaming and cursing I'll play you a little uh, a little German, clip German fuck. I'll play you a little clip if this works I hope so no I guess not criminals take your I'm fucking tired of if you're that stupid on national TV to have f***ing weed in your room and it smells like weed, you're f***ing stupid. And you need to go to jail. Bro. Okay, so take that guy. And I heard a lot of bleeps. I don't know what the words to, were. But compare him to a, a, sports, uh, a sports head coach like uh, Greg Popovich or like, um, you know, someone like that who, who uh, you know, Bill Belichick as an example, right, complete right. opposite. So talk to me about leadership styles how, and how effective or ineffective they are. So again, my first instinct is to go back to the animal kingdom. So like who are the leaders in the animal world? So in some species or in some like different like com- tribes, I guess you would say, the leader is the person who is the alpha, like the most competitive, the one who wins most of the time. So if you're the loudest and you're like the biggest, you're going to be the leader. The most however, aggressive also? Yeah. But however, if the tribe all of a sudden feels like you're too aggressive or what you care about is not what we care about, two or three smaller monkeys can easily overturn that. So yeah, there is some merit to saying you're going to be, you know, I'm alpha, I'm going to be, honestly, especially with sports, a lot of times the coach takes the fatherly role. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people do feel feel comfortable with somebody who's yelling at them and reprimanding them, especially if that's the stereotype that they have for their own father. But Mm -hmm. if they become too aggressive and too mean and they're not giving enough effort smaller or like more like either in stature or in aggressiveness right. they can come in and overthrow yeah, so, like, so, so that's that's the context behind this team what do you, how, how successful do you think they were in this in the season with that guy as their head coach so the, the truth is it's really hard to say because i would say so really the answer to what makes a good leader is somebody who knows their followers so in order for you to be a successful leader you have to know what your tribe is and what they're looking for so 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 if they i think i would say if this if the culture of these people is that they really are motivated by yelling and that's what their family structure is like and that's what they've been used to, they would be extremely successful even if they're just being yelled so at. So you guess that they're, okay, I'll tell you, they're all from inter, like inter-cities, like, you know. Yes, yeah, so I would say they're probably successful. That's, that's hard so to make I, a stereotype I, like so, that. So far they're undefeated. Oh, they lost one game. Wow. And they're incredibly successful. <laughs> In the season that, Ayers, that Bones is watching, not, right, not right, currently. Right, right. Like but, but, um, but the team is in turmoil. Like, the teams, like, basically the kids, like, overthrew the coach one game. But they're still winning games because they're just right. too good. So it's kind of like what you're right. saying a little bit with them being a little bit too – it's a little too aggressive. So I think you asked the wrong question here, there. It's not 
tell me about different leadership styles. It's what is what is the commonality between Stalin, Hitler? So Gandhi, think about it. Right. What was what was Hitler really good at? He picked up on an issue that Germany was facing. It's like right. he understood that the issue was we all feel poor. He was able to create that image for them. Scapegoat. And they found the scapegoat. He was able to understand the people that he was yeah. trying to. He was marketing to them. He was using all the techniques that we were talking about. He was persuading them. He happened to know that his strength is charisma. And he used the combination of knowing what they were looking for, creating a dream for them. Again, like we said, making a story of what your yeah, life is going to yeah. look like when they're gone. He used all the classic marketing techniques that we spoke about. And he used, again, he coupled that with his strength. If gone, he knew that his strength was soft-spoken. But he understood that people needed something to look for. And they needed sort of like, you know. More like godly this. figure. Exactly. Maybe. So yeah. you have to understand what your strengths are and what the people around you are looking for. Couple that together, make a nice marriage. Paint a picture Boom, and you're leader. leader. You're taking over okay, the world. With that, <laughs> we're going to go into a little music break and then we'll be back with a little big tick Ooh, my activity. Welcome back to episode 25, Bake Takes from Taking Bones. Again, if you want to hear those amazing tunes, <laughs> every podcast, without a doubt, you're going to have a good time. Go to Spotify. Yep. Tell them Bones. Bake Takes from Taking Bones, Spotify playlist. We're here. Yeah. All of those funky jams. We got Brian Winterhorst in the booth testing out some Vezo pizza. The, the score on that, Brian, was what? Uh... Me, I was talking to uh, the pizza guy before this who gave this a 7.7 Dave Portnoy, Dave Portnoy yeah. pizza guy. The pre- El Presidente. El Presidente. And I've got to say, Dave, you know, I'm calling you out as your name, Dave, because in this, you're not El Presidente. This is Ooh. a 6.0. Very controversial. 6.0. He gave that to a reheated slice that's been sitting Unfair. on the counter for two, two hours. hours. <laughs> Unfair ranking. Um, okay, we we're back. If the camera's yeah. down the microwave test, then it's not good pizza. The microwave test. He didn't even put it in the oven. Okay, we're back. Episode 25, season finale. Oh, actually, sorry. We're still going. What pizza can withstand a microwave test and still be good? Artichoke. Artichoke. Okay, (laughs) we're done with Brian. We're back with Carol in the booth. Carol, we're going to move on to everyone's favorite, Bake Takes Activity. Oh, Actually, before we do, you wanted to have one final comment about psychology and business. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the most recent studies that I've been reading about psychology and business, and you might be familiar with this but it might actually help you on your it might actually help you with your podcast so they said sales people especially people who cold call Mm. were significantly better when they exaggerated their hand motions and actually didn't speak mm. on the phone as if they were just like talking. So if you put a mirror Probably, in front of them, you know you my hands are flailing this entire right. podcast. So for your podcast, if you want your, your listeners to be more engaged and be more interested, Woo! don't just speak around. as if they can't actually speak as if you're actually speaking to somebody. If you use gestures, you seem more enthusiastic and then they actually enjoy Very cool. Bones has wore his suit, paced the room, yep. done the poses. For a phone interview. Phone I've always did that. Yeah. Um, and final thought I want to ask you, final thought on motivating employees, because I, I hired two interns recently, and one of them is doing amazing, 
and he's like working. He literally doesn't even take a break for lunch. Is that crazy the, guy. Is that the six foot? Yeah, he's guy? also six foot eight, and he's <laughs> massive. He must um, be a leader. But he's a nice guy. The <laughs> and the other one is just like super like disinterested. So I want to get your opinion on how to motivate people, specifically employees. Okay, so the branch of psychology that deals with this is IO Psych, Industrial Organizational Psychology, oh. and it's all about how to motivate oh, yeah. people. There's two theories. There's theory X and theory Y. Theory X is if you want people to work hard, give them incentives, pay them more, do whatever you got to do. Mm. Obviously, that's not the good theory. The mm. one that we should be using more is theory Y, motivating people from intrinsic motivations. So if you want to like motivate your employee, there are a few things that are universal, which is one, giving them more ownership and flexibility over what they're doing, Autonomy, giving, right. giving them a lot of feedback and validation. Um, but also I think it's really about finding what that person's strength is. Mm -hmm. So what gets them excited? What kind of work can they do for hours on end and really enjoy? Right. And how can you give them a project that utilizes their strengths? Cause that'll make them more interested in doing what they're right. doing. However, I will say that motivation is something that also comes with the person. I think some people are more highly motivated in general. So mm -hmm. it could be that one person you don't really need to give them much motivation. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, well with well, that, well, yeah. Bones, what do you got to do in that situation? You got to find... The black Trinsic swan. Right. The black Trinsic swan. Bond. With that, we're moving on to Big Takes activity time. And we have Dick in the booth. We have Carol in the booth. Both very competitive people, I might add. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And the game I, don't the game, I don't know if I've lost on this show the yet. The name of the game is five-second summaries. And this is not a competition. This is actually oh. going to work together. Oh, yeah. oh. This is even more fun. Okay, so the name of the game is five-second summaries. Yeah. I'm going to give you a title secretly i'm gonna give you a title of a tv or a movie show oh, i have to guess okay, and you're gonna gotcha. uh, a movie or a tv show and you're gonna have to explain like it. it to your partner in five seconds or less you can't use the name of the the, the, the movie sure, sure and we're gonna start with carol you have five seconds and you can't you can't like list there's your people word. in it right it has right. to be like, i don't i don't know enough about okay, it okay well we got that. five seconds on the clock uh, starting in three two one go five. i'm too old for four, this shit three two is that what it is one. Uh, take a guess i have i have no idea what's this say it again say you're too old i'm too old for this shit isn't that from that movie the answer is, say it. Die Hard? Die Hard. That made no sense. Oh, Is right, that the that... classic line that, they, that the guy says in Die Hard? Mm. I only know that maybe oh, from How I Met Your shit. Mother. I'm too old for this shit. That's what I said. Uh... In all, what's what was it say in honesty? What do you say? Full disclosure. Shoot, fine, fine. Okay. I never, I never, I never seen Die Hard. Let's, <laughs> let's give a goal. So, let's oh, try okay. to get three. If you guys yeah, get three, then you get a very serious okay. prize. I was wrong. So cool. If you get a three, you get you get a serious prize. Dicks up and look at the the word right right under, right under Die Hard. Oh, okay. You have five seconds of the clock in three, two, one. I gotta give me some Nazi scalps. Three, two, one. Glorious bastards. Glorious bastards. Correct. Okay, now, Carol, listen, three seconds. Okay, okay. you got to give me something that I know. Three seconds. If you don't know this, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't believe you. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Three seconds. Buzz three, and Woody. Two, one. Uh, Toy Story. You could say characters. One. You didn't say I can't. You could say characters. We'll give you a ding. <laughs> okay, Dick, oh, yeah, three yeah, seconds. I'll, I'll describe it this Dick, time. Dick, three seconds. In okay. three, two, one, go. Stripper three, dancing. Two, uh, That's Mike. Yeah. Oh, stripper dancing. Okay, last one. Yeah, one second. Who wants to go? One second. One yeah, second. Uh, Carol. Carol. Carol you see it here? Okay. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters wow. with that. That was great. Dick and Carol with the win. What do we get? What do we win? Um, you win nothing. We're going uh, That's... Gonna do it here for Big Taste of Thick and Bones, episode number 25. I wanna thank Carol. Or I wanna thank Brian. I wanna thank Dick. Thank him. I wanna thank all you people <laughs> for tuning in. Make sure to like, make sure to comment, make sure to subscribe. We are out. <laughs>